I've got something a little bit different for, uh, for uh, today. So, I don't know, I hope, I hope it will be something that you find meaningful, because I, I found it meaningful, and I mean, it could be I'm just weird, but I hope that that's not the case. Not that I hope I'm not weird, I know I'm weird, I've made my peace with that. I hope it's the case that you, uh, that you will find it interesting. It's very deep, if that's all right. And maybe it's too late to do deep. I'm not sure. But the theme itself that I'm talking about is deep. That is what it's about. So I hope you can bear with me. I started writing my notes for this, uh, for this talk. And, um, and I don't know how many people here have Androids. Show of hands if you have Androids. Wow, okay. I didn't know there was this many sheep in my community. Pesach should be easy then. We'll have plenty of sheep. Okay. I was swiping. <laughs> I was swiping on my Android. You guys, anyone swipe? You guys swipe? I was swipe typing. And I swiped Rosh Hashanah. And it, it kind of guesses what you wanted to say. As, you know, and sometimes it goes horribly wrong. Like you're writing Hashem Yitbarach and it says autocorrect, Hitler. Like, you know, no, that's not what I was saying. No, stop it, right? So today, it always gives me a, a good laugh when it's quite accurate and in an ironic way. So I swipe typed Rosh Hashanah and it autocorrected to dishwasher. <laughs> I don't know how or why. It thought that Rosh Hashanah was dishwasher, but I laughed to myself because that is what the day is. It's a day when you take something, somebody, who's dirty, who's covered in sin and problems and issues, and after going through this process, they find themselves on the other side of that day, purified, clean, crystal clean, pure, amazing. And I thought maybe if I'm going to talk about a dishwasher and the dishwashing opportunities that are available in Rosh Hashanah. Then what's fascinating to notice is that if you take a look at the Tifilot at Rosh Hashanah, I just want to give a shout out uh, to someone from the community. I'm not going to mention her name, um, but she reached out and she said, you know, we really need a class in understanding the Tifilot, the prayers of Rosh Hashanah. I'd love it if you would take us through the prayers. Tell us, what do these things mean? What are we supposed to have in mind? What should we think? What should we imagine? How do we connect? Would you give a class uh, in my house? I said, sure. Anyway, I get to this class, and it's at the dining room table, and she had went out and bought an English machzor for every person that came to the class. And there was pens and post-it notes in every color. And everyone came, and it felt like I was back in school. And everyone is writing notes and ripping post-it notes and putting it in the machzor and writing on the side. And this is what you have in mind here. And this is what you think here. And I would suggest various things for them. For them. And I think that that's something um, that whether or not you have a class on, there's books out there, there's opportunities. Go out and prepare the tefillot, the prayers of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Spend some time. If you're trying to do it in real time, while you're trying to also pray, while you're trying to keep up, you're not going to be able to do it. So we're going through the words of the prayer. And you know what's interesting about the words of those prayers of Rosh Hashanah? You know what's fascinating? What's fascinating to me is that there's almost no mention of the sins that we do. 
So if the day is about getting clean, getting kapara, it's a day of judgment. We're getting forgiveness, if you will. I, I mean, I know that that day also happens on Yom Kippur, right? That, but, but we're getting judged today. So why would we not mention those things? And I thought, you know what? Why don't we go to the one time on the holiday when we actually do engage in the process of asking God to forgive our sins? And where is that? Did anyone know? Tashlich. Have any of the rabbis before me spoken about Tashlich? No. How many times do you go to a class on Rosh Hashanah and it's on Tashlich? Almost never, right? Rosh Hashanah, Hashem being the king, ta-ta-ta, resolutions. And I thought this abandoned, sad custom of Tashlich which usually is, let's be honest, a social gathering of people asking each other a question that everybody asks when they get out of prison. What time did you get out? <laughs> it's amazing. Same question that you get in prison and you get on Rosh Hashanah prayer. When did you get out? Oh, <laughs> what were you in for? <laughs> let's leave it there. So I thought maybe we'll talk a little bit about Tashlich. Where does this custom come from? The origin source of this custom is a pasuk in Micha, where the Navi says, And you will throw, you will cast into the ocean all of their sins. And to commemorate the fact that Micha mentions that our sins will be cast into the ocean, we go to the ocean, and we, so to speak, get rid of our sins there. But the question is, Judaism is so much deeper than just the shallow symbolism that maybe going to a river and emptying pockets incorporates. So what is, how does this work? What's the process? What's the focus? How, how is this supposed to uh, connect us to something that ultimately gets rid of our Averot? How does this work? So I want to spend a little time with you um, talking about this. As some of you may know, the source of this idea is in the Maharil, that the reason why we go to the Tashlich, uh, to the river, to the water, to throw out our sins, is because of a Midrash. The Midrash says in Tan Chumat and other places too, Bereshit Rabati, it says that when Abraham was taking Yitzchak to the Akedah, which takes place on the day of Rosh Hashanah, we read it in the, uh, on Rosh Hashanah. When Abraham was going, he was on the way. The Satan, the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, tried to stop him every way he knew how. He knew the importance of this mission. And so he tried every possible way. He appears like an old man to Avraham, trying to convince him not to do it. He appears like a young man to Yitzchak, telling him not to go forward with it. Again and again and again, he's trying everything he can to stop this. And by the way, sidebar, in your life, when you're trying to do something good, and everything that you're trying to do kind of backfires, know, understand, and recognize that the reason why that's happening is because the Yetzer Hara is aware of how important your deeds and your actions are. If what you're doing was unimportant, Yetzirah lets it slide. But when he sees what you're doing 
is incredibly important. It'll change your life. It will cause a cascading reaction in your day-to-day. It's going to change the life of your family, of your community. That the Yetzirah throws everything he's got to stop. So sometimes the way you know you're on the right path is by how many obstacles seem to inexplicably come in your way when you're trying to do what you're trying to do. I think you guys know a little bit about that. I'm going to read you the words of the Midrash. The Midrash tells us, Bayom HaShilishi. On the third day, when Avram is traveling from his home to the, the place of the Akedah. We know where the place of the Akedah was. We know where that was. excuse me. The road was close. Why did it take him three days? Now, my first answer to that question is, <laughs> you know, are you running to Akedat uh, Yitzchak to do this? I would want to spend as much time as I can. But Avraham, it says, Vayashkim Avraham Baboker. Avraham woke up first thing in the morning because he wanted to do the mitzvah the right way with energy. In fact, that's one of the ways we learn about this concept that when you do a mitzvah, you're supposed to do it as quickly as possible. So why does it take him three days to get there? Kivan shira'ah shiloki blumimenu. The Yetzirah saw that they were not listening to him. Not in the old man form, not in the young man form. Nothing he was doing was appealing to Avraham and to Yitzchak. Once he saw that, He became before them like a engorged river. A river that was so uh, swiftly, so deep and so swiftly uh, coursing that they could not cross it. It was impossible to get through. By the way, again, I like teaching sidebar notes. You see that sometimes the Yetzirah is telling you to do the wrong thing, and sometimes the Yetzirah is a river. Sometimes the Yetzirah is how cold it is outside your bed when you have to go to shul. So that means that the Yetzirah is your lack of heating. <laughs> Sometimes the Yetzirah is the annoying guy who sits and prays next to you and prays in that annoying voice. Everyone has had one of those praying next to him. That's why I became a rabbi, so I could sit over here, so no one sits next to me. <laughs> it's one of the perks of the job. Uh, when, I, when I hired Rabbi Mizrahi, he was the only guy sitting next to me on the stage, I asked him, could you just please pray for a few minutes? And he started, I was like, okay, you'll be fine. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Do you know, does everyone know what I mean? The guy who's sitting right next to you and they're doing this. That guy. And you're like, Hashem, I'm so sorry for getting angry. But if, if I could just do one more before I do Teshuvah, stab him to death. Okay. The Yetzirah manifests in many different ways. So when you look at the difficulties in your life, understand that this is something trying to stop you from doing something. But it's not the thing itself. It's the evil inclination. Abraham immediately went into the water. got to his knee, to his thighs. He said to his children, come after me. Sidebar. Never tell your children to do something until you go in first. Come after me. They went into the water after him. When they got about halfway through the Nahar, halfway through the, the river, 
It got all the way up to the top of his neck. In that moment, Avram raised his eyes to the very heavens. And he said, Master of the world. You chose me and you taught me and you instructed me to go and to do and to be Mekadesh Shem Shamayim Berabim, to be a Kiddush Hashem in public. You asked me to show the world what to do, how to follow you. I'm alone in this world. There's no one else but me who worships you, by, by the way, at this moment. There are no other Jews. There isn't another temple that Abraham doesn't go to, okay? It's just him. You told me that through me, your name would become known in this world. And you asked me to bring Yitzchak on the Akedah. I did not hold back. I'm doing what you promised, what you asked me to do. The waters have come ad nafesh until my soul. I can't go anymore. If I walk anymore, I'm going to drown. Those words you might recognize them from the Pasuk. If either one of us drown, who's going to keep your words, Bore Olam? Who's going to pass on this legacy? Me, I'm the one doing it. Yitzchak is the only son following in my ways. We are the future. At that point, there isn't the Jewish people. We are the future of God in this world. God said to him, I swear to you, your name, your, your legacy will yet come to characterize my name in this world. Miyad. Ga'ar ha'kadosh baruch hu HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, uh, gave a, a, a look at the Ma'ayan, at the source of the waters, the Yavish Hanar, and this uh, river that was flowing dried up, Amdu Bayabasha, and they were standing on dry land, and then they continued their journey. My friends, the Maharil tells us that it is because of this that we go to do Tashlich on Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, we remember not only that Avraham Avinu did such a great act, but also the Misirut Nefesh, that he was willing to give his soul, he was willing to give his life in order to do the mitzvah. Okay? In that merit, we ask Hashem, please forgive our sins. This is what the Maharil says. Are you guys with me? Does this make sense to you? You know what I feel? Again, please forgive me, Maharil. Tell me if you feel the same way. I want you to imagine someone comes to the state of Israel and he says, I would like to be accepted into the state of Israel. Oh, what's your name? Oh, my name? Aska Shindla. And, um, and Israel says, fantastic, here's a passport. Some other German guy comes. And he's like, I also would like citizenship to Israel. What's your name? Anyone? Nice German name? Hans von Schnitzel. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Schnitzel. You cannot come into this country, but we will accept your product. And it will become the staple of all Israeli meals. <laughs> 
I still remember <laughs> I still remember going to a family member in Israel and they were like, ah, Shlomo, you want schnitzel? I was like, no, 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 schnitzel. I don't want schnitzel. She goes, ah, okay, p'seder, p'seder. Schnitzel tiras. There is a thing called schnitzel made out of corn in Israel. When you slice it open, it is bright yellow. I don't know who did the R&D on this. I was like, no. Ah. What followed was a list of other kinds of schnitzel that are made of nine other things. The same company makes schnitzel from everything. It was amazing. I did not even realize that so many things could make schnitzel. Well, either way, back to Hans von Schnitzel. Hans von Schnitzel is standing there, and he's like, but you let him in. What are they going to say to Hans von Schnitzel? He saved the life of 1,000, 1,100 Jews, 12, I forget exactly, 1,200 Jews. He saved, that's why we let him in. We're going to plant a tree for him. There's going to be streets named in his honor in Yad Vashem. That's why we let him in. Who are you? In fact, Mr. von Schnitzel, where were you on the night of? What were you doing in 1942, 1945? Arrest this man! <laughs> Drown him in ketchup! Sorry. <laughs> Standing next to Oscar Schnitzel, Oscar Schindler, <laughs> only drives home the point how inadequate you are, correct? Is that, that, that fair? The Maharil is like, you know what? On Rosh Hashanah, when we're asking for another year of life and we don't deserve it and we have lots of sins, we should go to the riverbank and say, God, remember how Avram did no sins? So if you could kind of like cut me some slack, and Hashem, I'm imagining, is like on the river and he's like, yeah, but, yeah, but the, the, that was because he, he did no sins. Where were you on the night of... You understand? I kind of feel like, if anything, that just wakens a ta'ana, a complaint against us. So what is the Mariel explaining? What is he saying? So I think there's something here that's very, very deep. Very, very powerful. And I hope uh, it's not too late to understand this, this concept. Rav Chaim Vital, in his Kabbalistic work, Sha'arek Kedushah, he writes that there are four basic elements that make up the spiritual nature of human beings. And the four basic elements are earth, adama, maim, esh, and ruach. So earth, wind, water, and fire. It doesn't mean that God stuck us into some sort of bowl and mixed up the ingredients and then poof, a person popped out. But on a spiritual level, each one of these elemental elements in creation creates, makes up a part of the human psyche. And he writes something very interesting. He writes that if you want to analyze what the origin source is for desire, um, sexual desire, 
uh, monetary, financial desire, when you want to steal something, you want to take something from somebody else. You're jealous of what someone else has. Where do you think that resides? In which of the four elements? I would have guessed fire. No? Anyone? Yeah. I want to read to you. These are the words of Rukhaim Vital, student of the Arizal. He says as follows. Yesod Hamayim, the source of the concept of water in our world, Mimenu Ta'avat Hata'anugim. Water is the source of our desire to enjoy things in this world. Because water actually is the source, it builds, it creates, it sustains all wondrous crea- crea- creations in, in, uh, in the world. And two things come out of this desire. The desire to steal someone, to take from them, to take from them their, the desire for their wife, the desire for their house, the desire for everything that they have. I want more, more, more. He wants, to, he's jealous of his friend, he wants more money in order to be able to do more things, to enjoy more things. So the source of water is the source of desire. That's the concept. Mine, water, is a source of desire. Fascinating. Ready for this? The Kliyakar writes, Shedor HaMabul, therefore, in the uh, flood, when the flood came in the time of Noah, Ne'enshu B'tohom Rabbah, what happened to the people? We know they were guilty of two sins. The first sin was adultery, and the second sin that they were guilty of was stealing. What happened to a people so steeped in those desires, they drowned in the water. They drowned in the depths of their desires. That's the concept of Mayim. To me, I imagine that that's how Noah survives the Mabul. Because while everybody else is desiring for themselves, what does God do to Noah? He tells him, look, I want you to build a teva. And what I want you to put in the teva, I want you to put in all the animals. Every animal eats on a different schedule. Noah and his family, they were up straight the whole time in the teva, just feeding these animals. Can I ask you a question? You know how God saved the fish? Why couldn't God figure out a way how to save all the animals? I don't know. Put them in storage. Figure something else out. If miraculously they're all going to come to the teva and they're going to fit in the teva by some miracle. Let them go in a cave. I don't know. Let them go on top of a mountain. Have an earthquake. The earth opens, it then swallows them up and then spits them out afterwards. Figure something else out. It's a miracle anyway. The answer is, Noah didn't take care of the animals because the animals needed Noah to take care of them. Noah took care of the animals because Noah needed to take care of the animals. Because in order to stay adrift in an ocean of desire, to rise above, to merit being saved from the desire, the idea that I want to take, 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 I want to have everything for me. You know what the solution was for that? For them to be non-stop, unceasing givers for the duration of their time in the Teva. Once we see this, we start to learn and to realize that there are great things afoot when you go to do tashlich. Wondrous things, in fact. And if you could plug into this, your tashlich will never be the same.
All of this is really nice, but it leaves us with one problem. And that problem is, my friends, that there's something else that water is compared to. What else is water compared to in the euphemisms of Chazal? Who said that? Torah. Excellent. Jean-Luc. Torah. En ma'im ela Torah. How could Torah be identified by ma'im? And arayot, taking selfishness, self-centered narcissism. How could those two things be rooted in the same thing? How is that possible? The B'nai Sashar writes something magnificent, echoed in other Sefarim as well. He says, let's take a look. The holiday season, where does it begin? It begins with Rosh Hashanah, correct? And what do we do in Rosh Hashanah? We take all of our sins and we put them in the water. And Rosh Hashanah goes into Yom Kippur, and Yom Kippur goes into Sukkot. And what do we do in Sukkot? We take the water and we pour it on the Mizbeach, on the uh, altar in the Beit HaMikdash. What, what are you doing? Is it the place of desire where you dump your sins? Are you taking your toxic water and putting it on the Mizbeach as a sacrifice? What does it mean? Says the Bnei Sashar something incredible. He says, You saw Damaim, the element of water, Ba'in, from that comes all love, all enjoyment, all desire. Because water is what grows things. Things develop from water. They spiral from water. And therefore, water represents love. Therefore, we pour this water before God on Sukkot, Lehorot, to teach. We take all the love that we have, which is evil, which is bad, which is for the wrong things. I might love gambling. I might love stealing. I might love hurting people and feeling in power. I might love controlling and manipulating people. Maybe that's what gets me excited. That's what switches, switches me on. What do we do? We take all of that ahava, all of that love of the wrong thing, and we bring it into the temple. And we put it on the Mizbech and we say, God, we give you our love and we take in return the things that you love. This, my friends, is what is referenced by the Maharil, what we're trying to come back to when we recall the story of Avraham and Yitzchak. Avraham is asked by God to do what? To do the Akedah. Now, can I ask you a question? Does Avraham have to listen to God? Huh? Well, he's got a commandment from God. There is no Torah, by the way, yet. So I'd imagine a direct commandment from God you would probably listen to, right? But probably it was subject to all the same rules and regulations that we're subject to now in the Torah, correct? Now, let me ask you a question. If there's a mitzvah, and in order to be able to do the mitzvah, so like, let's say you want to come to Safra Synagogue on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, assuming you bought a seat because we're sold out, right? You're trying to get here. And then all of a sudden you're walking down and Madison Avenue has turned into a torrent, a river, and you cannot cross it. Are you obligated to go to shul and perhaps die? No. How do you know that? Because which mitzvot does one need to risk their lives for? Good. So not killing someone. The big three sins. Not murdering someone, 
right? Not uh, 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 worshipping idols and not committing idolatry. Any other mitzvah, if you're going to die in order to do it, do you have to do it? No. Avram is told, go do the Akedah. He goes to the river. The river doesn't let him cross. What is he allowed to do right now? Say to God, Sayonara, Vehitraot, Bye, bye, bye. That's all he needs to do and go home. He's patur. But Abraham's love runs deep. He's in the water, he's in a place of desire, and he says to God, God, I, I love me, I love my son, I love our continuation, but I love you. And you've asked me to do something. And when I put your love and my love on the scale, the things that I want, and the things that you want for me, I choose what you want for me. Because I know that ultimately what you want for me is not filtered through the biased version of humanity with its taste for the finer things of life. I know that what you want for me and your plan for me is better than my plan for me. So look, you sent me here, I'm here, what do you want me to do? And the ocean and the river dries up. What we do when we go to Tashlich is we go to a place of desire. And we say to God, you see these things in my pocket? These sins? They're not me. They're in my pocket. They're not me. I am not those little crumbs from that cookie that I took once and then someone saw me so I stuck it in my pocket so I wasn't in back. Right? I'm not. That's not me. That's my cookie crumbs. Those are things that I can get rid of. I come to the sea and I say to God, the only reason why I did these is not because I want them. But because I had desire. She looked too beautiful for me to turn away. It was too hard. All my friends were there. I didn't want to make a scene. So I just went with them, even though I shouldn't have gone. I'm already keeping kosher. I shouldn't have gone to the restaurant with them. But you know what? They will. We say to God, we throw our sins in the waters of desire. And we say to God, this is not really what we want. And in that moment, something magnificent happens. I quote to you the Pasuk in Shira Shirim, and I will end with this. The Pasuk in Shira Shirim says, Ma'im Rabim, lo yuchilu lechabot et ava, unharot lo yishtefua, imiten ishet kol hon beto be'ava, boz yavuz ulo. The great waters, they can't diminish our love for you. And oceans and rivers, they will not get in our way. If all of the money in the world was on the table in front of me today, with love, he will walk away empty-handed because I'm not giving in and I'm not giving up. My friends, desire is apolitical. Desire, it doesn't, it's not split between good and evil. It's just that you want something, that you crave, that you yearn for something. That yearning could be yearning for something that you don't have, that you want, or it could be a yearning for something that you are not. It could be a yearning for a better you. 
It could be a desire that burns so strongly. Your character, you want to be that friend that people can rely on. You want to be the partner in your relationship that gives in, that maybe perhaps doesn't bite back. You want to be the person in your community that when people know something needs to get done, they come to you. You want to be, we want so many things. But you know what happens? There's another desire, and I want, and I want, and the wants go into a back alley and they start fighting it out. Tashlich is when we come on Rosh Hashanah and we say to God, I don't know what it means to make you the king of the world. Because you know what? It's so easy to say Hashem is the, the ruler and the king of the world. It's easy to say that Hashem is the king of the Jewish people. It's easy to say that Hashem will rule forever and ever. It's easy to say over all the nations of the world. And it's really hard to say Hashem is the boss of me. That's what happens in Tashlich. Where I take everything that is taking me astray and I say, God, look, this comes from my Hara. I'm throwing it in the river. Not so that you could take away my sins in the river, but so that you and I can agree that all of this is only a Yetzer Hara. And God, with your help and my correct desire, just like with Avram, that river disappeared from in front of him. I want this river gone. Why do I feel? Why am I always attracted to the wrong person? How come those are the people that I want to date? And the good guy, the nice guy, I never want to take, I never want to say yes. Why? Why am I like that? Why am I this person that loves schmoozing in the back of the synagogue? I don't understand. Why? Why does that excite me? You want to schmooze? Stay home. Why do you got to come to synagogue in order to then inappropriately talk in the shul? Well, stay downstairs. What is this drive? What is this desire? It doesn't even make sense. You could schmooze uninterrupted with no one shushing you, not in the shul. Why would you come to shul to have your conversation interrupted by everyone else's conversation with God? Yetzer hara. It's not logical. It's a river. It comes away, sweeps us off our feet. But when we could look at this river and look at our desires and call them by their name, and the minute it is no, we notice, we recognize, we understand what it is, it loses its power over us. That's how you get rid of your sins. Not by magically drowning them in the ocean. Not by feeding them to the fish in Central Park, so all the fish in Central Park are toxic with your sins. Ooh, what is this? Ugh, this fish tastes like... Ugh, ugh, ugh. Tastes like breaking Shabbat. <laughs> That's not what's happening. You're recalling a river that once tried to stop someone who is your G DNA great-grandpa. Someone who called out the river of desire for what it was and then watched it disappear. This year, what do you want? What do you want? You see, resolutions got it all backwards. Resolutions are, this is what I'm going to do. 
I'm gonna do this. Yeah, raise your hand if you've ever made a resolution then not kept it. Wow, the hands that are not up are just lying, by the way. Just <laughs> putting that out there. <laughs> Never said you were gonna do something that you didn't do. We all did. Because in the good place, when we're in a good place, we, we accept on ourselves, we take on it, and it's, we want so much, but it doesn't work out. You know why? Because you're accepting on yourself to do something. And you know what happens when you accept on yourself to do something? And you're the same person you were before. The same reason you didn't do it before is the reason why you're not going to do it now. Might work for a little bit while you fake yourself that you're someone else. But when you kind of crash land into your old skin, the same reasons why your old skin couldn't handle it is why you can't hack it. You're not going to be able to hack it now. Don't accept resolutions on what you want to do. Make a resolution on what you want to be. And therefore, in the text of Tashlich, we do not say the 13 attributes of God's mercy. We do not say, Amunai, Amunai, Kerakumechanun, Erabam, Rezemet, Nozerez, Elalavim, Nozerabon, Ezradah. We don't say that. What do we say? Mi el Kamocha, who is like you, God? Right? At each one of these expressions, we take the thing that God is called, Rahum, Chanun, and we say, God, you are over al Pesha. You are a person, you don't get angry. We actually express what these actions look like so that we can actually model those behaviors. Who do you want to become in this coming year? And the irony is that oftentimes the you from 2022 didn't deserve to make it. But the you you are pitching in 2023? Mmm. I like that. In Shamayim, Hashem is like, this is pretty good. If they could pull this off, that would be amazing. And the angels are like, brilliant. Yes, absolutely. I like Shlomo Farhi 43.0. <laughs> and that Shlomo Farhi gets written in the Book of Life. Hashem should bless us to go to Tashlich with the right intentions. Hashem should bless us to see the river of desire flow in the opposite direction. And the Spirit of God, it hovers right above the waters. Because in this desire to do good and this desire to do bad, many people get swept with the currents around them. But God is right above those desires, waiting for you to reach out from the water and say, this is what I want to be like. Hashem should bless us with the Shana Tovah Mevorechet. Saturday night. Saturday night, in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we will be having a midnight silichot here. It is always ram-packed, and it's an incredible silichot. If you're Sephardic, you should come because you're Sephardic. If you're Ashkenaz, you should come to see what real silichot look like. But beforehand, beforehand, we're going to have a class 
I think it's 12.45 is the exact time. So we're going to have a couple classes. Stay tuned. Follow us. You'll see exactly what we've got planned for you. Be'ezrat Hashem. Shana Tovah.